and five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to America.com. My name is Rich Doc Hayden, and I am with... Harpo. And here we are again. We are now in the third week of the war in Ukraine, Russia's aggressive, unprovoked war in Ukraine, and we're bringing back on our close friend, our brother from 2-7, Matthew Maxwell, because he's given us a bunch of great analysis. Maxwell, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. Good, good. And Harp, how are you doing today? Doing lovely. Good, good. All right. So the very first thing I want to get into is, so we've been, over the last couple of weeks, been tracking uh, Maxwell's friend who's in Ukraine. And uh, Matthew, do you have an update on her? How's she doing? Yeah, so uh, my girlfriend talked to her the other day, and she sent some pictures. So she's in a place called Dnipro, which I was looking at something earlier today. So she's outside the enemy lines there. Um, so relatively safe. I, I share with you guys pictures of her and her husband. Uh, so she's doing good. She's very thankful uh, for this podcast to be able to get her voice out and wanted everyone to know that she's doing all right. And, um, you know, they're just taking it a day at a time. The Russians haven't got to her location yet. Um, so that's good. Yeah, she's doing real great. Good. Good, good. That's exactly what uh, we want to hear. You know what I mean? So I mean, that just goes. That, that kind of goes to show you how long this war is going to take. You know, that's what's crazy. It is. It's yeah. We're you know we're only almost three weeks into it, which is you know relatively short by war standards. But it, it's no sign it's going to let up. So uh, so so you know what, Harp? Let's go ahead and let's start with you, man. So you know what have been your feelings over the last week since we spoke, and, and how do you see things progressing? Man, this is going to be a slow, brutal, uh, slow, brutal process. I do believe. Mm. Like, well, I mean, like we were just saying, there's 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 parts of Ukraine that you know Russians hadn't even stepped foot in yet. And here we are, week three. This this may you know this may linger on for months before they can say they've got you know they can maybe contain the capital, but it's I'm sure uh, the Ukrainians are going to fight in every city, not just the capital city. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're, 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 like I said, like we said, they're, they're, they're fighting for every inch of their namesake. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, yeah, it's just, just this very, very long, long grind it's going to turn into. Any, you know, it's, it's I, I don't foresee it ending anytime soon, and I don't see Putin letting up. So, um, Maxwell, let me, let me uh, give you the mic. So, you know, what have you written your impressions over the last week, and, you know, how do you see things right now and, and see them progressing? Yeah, well, like uh, Harpo said, uh, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of territory for three. Uh, first off, uh, I'm looking at the fact that if you take Ukraine, you know, it's the largest country in Europe, right? Uh, if you put that over what most people know, Western Europe, it takes up almost the entirety of Western Europe, right? Mm. So there's a lot of ground to cover. So there, uh, but. We're used to this kind of overwhelming, you know, we could overthrow a country in less than a month, and we've done it multiple times. Uh, and I think, uh, like I said last week, there's always been this uh, impression of the Russian army, the Red Army, as like just this 
unstoppable force of nature. Uh, and it is not the case, man. And, uh, you know, three weeks in and, and, and it is not what Putin thought it was going to be. Right. And the, the Ukrainians, they're putting up a fight. Uh, they're taking it right, right to the Russians and, and just grinding them up. And that, that's going to be to the, that's going to be to their benefit. The longer this drags on and the more, the more Russians that Ukrainians could kill, it's going to really put a bitter taste. I mean, there already is a bitter taste in the, in the mouths of Russians that are finally figuring out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But uh, the longer it goes on, it's just like a, it's like us in Vietnam or the global war on terror. The more it drags, the more people don't have the stomach for it. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And did, y'all, did y'all see the? Uh, did you see the article? I mean, it may not have just come out. I just seen it on the on, on the Fox News page about the uh, Russian newscast lady. Yes, holding up the anti-war sign. Did y'all see that one? Yes. Well, yes. that takes some balls right there. Yes, because you know her next stop is prison, and oh, I mean, yeah, he, he's already like struck the media over there. Like he's he's controlling his own media too. What does that? Yeah. Yeah, and she and yeah, that was, she's she that was a brazen and really quite amazing uh, thing that she did. You know, and how did I was also wondering how the fuck did she get that sign in there too? You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I know. You know, she had to know somebody that knew somebody. Yeah, but but I mean, slide that in there. yeah, but I mean, you know, we we can we here in the the West, like if something like that happened, you know, here on any cable news station or any news station in America, you know, the person would be escorted out of the building and, like, maybe if they got really rowdy, they'd call the police and have charges, uh, you know, set against them. But, you it, know, it, all, it all depends on which news newscast it was. Yeah, Some of the yeah. newscasts will probably give them tea and cookies for, you just come here and calm down a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, like... In she, con- may get the, she may get the death penalty over there. I was going to say, yep. In in contrast yeah. with um, Putin's, uh, uh, you know, the what's going on, he might death penalty. He might, you know, this new Russian law that's basically, in so many words, has made it impossible to criticize the Kremlin. Uh, has carries a fifteen year sentence. She might go to prison for fifteen years. You know what I mean? Oh, which, yeah. which is crazy. So, you know, it's. It was, and I'm sure she, whoever let her bring it in, too. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she didn't do this. This ain't. This, I mean, I don't see her doing this alone. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably won't stop with her. And like you know, yeah. the Russians have always been big on propaganda and misinformation and controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, this is this has this is much bigger. Like Harpo, you brought up a good point. Like here in the West. It'd be like, nah, whatever. It's no, it's another day, right? Here's somebody just protesting. Yeah. But over there, where they control everything as far as information goes, and to have like something like that leak out, like you know, there's uh, you know, there's tr- there's big trouble in little China kind of thing. Like uh, they don't want that. Putin doesn't want egg on his face. He's mm-hmm. all about his image. And, yeah, and- man, we 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 burn cities down. We we storm capitals. We 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 go way 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 more farther than writing on a poster board mm. and putting it on live TV. I mean, yeah, country. We they they, they I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, other countries 
you're not burning buildings. You're not rioting. You're not storming their capitals. I mean, those folks will kill you. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's a good point, dude. Like, you're not going to do like the stuff. I think people don't understand sometimes. We do have a pretty, pretty damn good in this country. Like, you know, in foreign countries, you do some of the stuff that we do here. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, you steal. They cut your damn hand off in the public square so everybody could see it. Yeah. 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 And Russia, and Russia, you know, Russia, so in Russia's history with that, I mean, right after the Russian Revolution, um, you know, it was, it was horribly oppressive. Stalin's regime was, you know, was, was terribly oppressive. I mean, if you had even a whiff of, uh, you know, political, political incorrectness back then or any sort of deviation from the party line, you got sent to the gulag. And then it opened up a little bit after Stalin and then opened up even more after the end of the Cold War, but I think we're, we're going right back to, you know, if not as intense as where it was under Stalin, pretty, pretty close, um, at least, you know, in Russia. So, um, See, in this country, we have, they have to put committees together that take two years to talk about what actually happened, that it lasts so long that you forget yeah. what actually happened, so it just goes away. Yeah. I mean, that's what we are. Yeah, yeah. It didn't happen like that over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also the U.S. too. We have you know you have independent journalists. You have think tanks. Even like when Iraq, when the invasion of Iraq happened in two thousand three, you know you had the mainstream media, you had cable news, but you also have all sorts of independent journalists. And it's even gotten more. Even oh three, um, at the internet was still relatively young, but now you have all sorts of independent journalists. Um all over the world, you know, with varying degrees of truth and accuracy, but are still looking at this. And yeah, in Russia, no, you got the state media. And, and now, so I'll kind of lead into my, where I see things right now. So right now we're entering a, a bit of a difficult, well, the whole thing is difficult, but a new set of difficult phases where, you know, uh, Ukraine is still, still putting up a brave, brave fight, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder, you know, how their supplies are doing, how, you know, some of these, you know, some of these cities, how food and water is holding out. I've heard that in many places, food and water is starting to run short. A lot of people don't have heat, and it's, you know, it's the tail at the end of winter over there, so it's very cold. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm wondering about that. And then, um, you know, in the U.S., it, we still, I'm very happy that attention hasn't moved on yet, because we in the U.S., one thing I am, I hate about the U.S. is we have very short attention spans, but this has stayed front and center uh, every day, which I think is good because... Well, you know what? But America's all about the underdog, too. The, yes. We've pulled, yes. We've always pulled for them. Yes. I think, you know, I think that one, one of the things that I think that this is going to be, um, it's going to keep people more engaged is that, like, Russia, uh, Putin is a genuinely uh, terrible leader and a terrible man and just... The, and and, and a, a real bona fide threat, too, you know? Like, Saddam, you know, Saddam was a piece of shit, but Saddam wasn't um, the, you know, Saddam didn't command this huge army and, uh, uh, you know, um, you know when he did go invade Kuwait, we jumped, you know, we, we went in, we kicked his ass in Desert Storm, um, but, it, but, you know, Putin is uh, the head of this, the leader of this very large, very powerful country, and he's just walking over his neighbor, or, you know, attempting to, you know, very, like, like, um, very clumsily, you know, walking over his neighbors, and yeah, I think, you know, when there's, when we have a clear bad guy, be it, you know, uh, Putin, 
Saddam, Hitler, uh, the Ayatollah, whoever it is, it's, I think it's much easier for Americans conceptually to get behind that. And I think, Harp, I think you're right. Like, uh, Ukraine's the underdog, so there's a very, very clear good guy and bad guy here. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Well, so I think that, um, uh, so there are a couple things, you know, the Ukrainians are still, still holding, holding on and hanging in there beyond anybody's uh, wildest expectations. And the second thing, too, what I think is hard is that I've been doing a lot of reading of uh, about what's going on in Russia and you know, Russian state media. And basically, the, uh, the the Kremlin has shut down all independent media in um, in Russia. Uh, they just uh, they shut shut off Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. I believe have been taken offline. So there are very few news sources uh, other than state news sources for uh, the Russian people uh, at the moment and. I, I think it's it's really difficult for people on for us you know people on the outside to really gauge what the uh, Russian public is thinking and uh, you know this, the Soviet Union actually collapsed pretty suddenly and like um, in 1988 if uh, you know you told most most people who are watching you know uh, in the government and, and Russia watchers like yeah, in, a, in a year or two uh, the Berlin Wall is going to fall and then three years Soviet Union will be dismantled they would have been like no way no way and then it happened so you know I'm wondering if uh, to to kind of paraphrase Ernest Hemingway this is the kind of thing that happens slowly and very suddenly uh, this you know Russian downfall but I, I you know I don't know I hope so I hope that it it comes pretty quickly and soon. Because um, yeah, it's just it's a pretty terrible situation. So, so, um, so is there anything else? So, Max, what else do you see? You had some good insights. You got anything else that you're seeing? Well, I mean, kind of. I think the common theme here now, and you kind of brought it up with them shutting down uh, the ability to get information in, and that's why you see like hacker groups and and things like that uh, really taking root and really, really on the attack um rand corporation had some commentary and the headline was uh, keeping russians informed about ukraine could help end the war uh that's the thing like information warfare is huge in the 21st century mm, yeah. right like and the ability for us to connect to so many people and this is why this is in part why ukraine has all this support right has support from people that any other day would just be like, where, have no idea where Ukraine is, right? Mm. But it's it's front and center, and I think that's one of the things President Zelensky knows that. Like that's why he does take to social media, rally the troops, and and and, and bring, uh, uh, you know, bring this knowledge to the masses around the world. Like, hey, this is what's going on here, and you're going to see it for real. I think I think the people of Ukraine also understand how much the Russians value, you know, propaganda and controlling the narrative, mm -hmm. no matter how false it will be. And so they they've done largely what the U.S. strategy in regards to Russia is, which is strategic communications. Right, like I'm going to refute all of this misinformation and all of this propaganda with the truth. Mm, and yeah. so the Russians may be able to get mass volumes of data and info out to you very quickly and just flood the Internet with bullshit. 
Uh, but you counter that with, with the truth, right? Like they, they might get the message first, but you, if you have the truth and you have evidence to back it up, you know, and that, and that, that goes a long way. Like, like I said last week, like Elon Musk with the Starlink, uh, keeping that, keeping that pipeline open, uh, you know, and understanding the value of data, the value of information. And, and really like, it's one of those things too, like, you know, anytime NATO wants to get involved, you, you have an idea of what's going on on the ground, right? You could, you could see it because, uh, the Ukrainians are streaming yeah. live, right? Uh, so that's key. That's key. Mm. Information, the ability for Ukraine to get information out to the world, to keep the support up and whatnot. And, Conversely, Russia's ability to suppress information is going to really ultimately determine who wins. Uh, but like you guys said, the resolve of the people of Ukraine at the end of the day, I mean, it might be the total underdog uh, Red Dawn scenario, but um, which which may be likely given the numbers and whatnot. Um you know, in this day and age, like it should, it should be enough with the travesties that are happening right now in Ukraine for NATO to get involved. You know, no fly zone, or just say, you know, we're not going to let this stand. Mm-hmm. But I get it. Everybody, everybody's afraid to put the foot in the pool because they're worried about the nuke fight. Yeah, and we're gonna, we're we're definitely going to get to that uh, a little bit later, and um, and you know. Max, I'll piggybacking on what you said too. Um, the I think the one of the biggest X factors in this that nobody could have predicted is that Zelensky has proven to to be a heroic and honorable leader. Was you know I can't even remember what was the the Afghan president who's left Ashraf Ghani was his name right? What was the the, the president of Afghanistan who who flew out? Oh no, I don't know. There was like there was a Northern Alliance leader. No, no, no. There was a Northern Alliance leader before we went in there that got assassinated when we were first going into Afghanistan in two thousand one. No, no. When the um, last last summer when the Taliban um, started to come oh, back. Oh, okay. In. Yeah, yeah. The guy who cut tail. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yep. I can't even you know I can't remember the president's name now, but he the Afghan president saw the writing on the wall and. Flew out of Afghanistan yeah. and basically left everybody. He, and he, I think he, he left Afghanistan and did not tell his military anything. They, yeah, they didn't even know he was gone until he was gone. But dude, that that was par for the course for Afghanistan. Yeah. That's what, but you know, when the State Department had sixty-five billion dollars go missing, they're like, "It's where did it go? It's all those warlords you paid off yeah. to help us yeah. out." And they freaking took the money and went to UAE. They're like, shit, I can finally leave Afghanistan. Yeah. But, but like, Zelensky could have said, oh, you know what, I'm getting the fuck out of here. But he didn't. He stayed. And everybody um, is looking towards him. And even if, like, if, if the Russians kill him, if they capture him and throw him in prison, um, you know, short of cut and tail and uh, running, which I don't think he's going to do, he's either going to be a martyr or he's going to continue to be the face of the resistance and um 
He, you know, it's it's. I think that nobody expected him to be as brave and as effective. And I think it's really, I think it's actually really, really mattered a whole lot to the morale of the Ukrainians and ultimately to the war. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely, man. That's what I was. That's what I was talking about. Like his his leadership by example. That has been that has been the thing that has not only rallied his people to do the impossible, but to just gain the love and admiration of yeah. the world around him, right? Like, yes. It's huge, big time. And, dude, you, I know we'll probably end up talking about this a little bit later, uh, the veteran aspect of it. Like, you know, what? That, that guy right there and him as a leader and as someone that is worth putting your life on the line, that's the thing. That's why veterans are like, "Give me a plane ticket. I'll go yeah. fight for this dude." Right? Mm-hmm. It's just like it's just like each other. It's just like our brothers. Like, yeah, man. If I if the blue goes up tomorrow, you're the dude I'm calling, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're my brother. Yeah. And and you know everybody, everybody in our boat that has had this combat experience knows what we're doing. Know that we could could help wants to go do it because these these people are worth it you know what i mean and, and that's the that's the big thing i know you know i know i've been like the guy checking out plane tickets and stuff but uh but at the end of the day i know i've got uh, some daughters that would definitely be pissed off if i did yeah. that <laughs> yeah well you know that that's a great segue into our our next topic and um I wanted to discuss the veterans, you know, U.S. veterans, how some of the feelings that, you know, we have watching it and watching it go on. So, Harp, uh, I'll open this up to you. So, you know, as a veteran, watching what's going on over there, what are your thoughts and feelings? No, man, it sucks what's going on over there. And like we said earlier, we're always for the underdog, so I'm pulling for Ukraine in this one, by far. Mm-hmm. Just, just only... Uh, the generation aspect. I mean, it, I hate it for the kids over there. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, we got rocked with COVID. That made our lives a little uneasy for a few years over here. But what that little younger generation is going through is a whole hell of a lot worse than what we did. Yep. Yep. You know, and it's coming off of, they had they dealt with COVID also, so they're coming off of COVID too, so they had a one-two punch. You know what I mean? Right, right, yep. right. Yeah, definitely. So, and have you um, talked to many uh, veterans about this? And if so, how do they feel? I mean, just the ones on my, you know, my Facebook friends. I mean, they're all same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and nobody, nobody's rooting for uh, for Putin in this one. Nobody's rooting for Putin. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So. Maxwell, you start. You started talking about it, but but um, anything else you want to add, or how, you know how how are some of the veterans that uh, you know you know how have they been responding? Man, so I really haven't talked to too many people outside of us right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the general consensus, just you know, stuff you see on social media, like I think we're all on the same page. Like, dude, that you know, and, and guys have posted that. I'm ready to grab my kit and go right now. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of dudes, uh, a bunch of dudes are feeling a little nostalgic and want to get back in the mix. 
which uh, just motivates me. Word. Word. Yeah, you know, so I think um, every veteran has... It's you know it's interesting. So for me, it's it's kind of a miss because yeah, there's like one part of me that would love to just yeah go hop on over there and just just jump right on in. Um, and there's you know and I agree with everything both of you said. I mean there's there's no way, uh, but Putin is the is wrong here. He is the aggressor. It is one hundred percent on Russia. It's not even like ninety nine point nine percent on Russia. I mean it is one hundred percent. Uh, on Russia. And, you know, a lot of the people that um, I've been talking to, a lot of veterans and, and, you know, a lot of people that are still in that I'm talking to, we've really been amazed at how poorly the uh, Russian army has fought. And I think, you know, nuclear weapons aside, if the the U.S. military were to meet the full force of the Russian military in Ukraine, we would kick the shit out of them. And I can say that confidently and um you know without exaggeration i mean just 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 uh, just in the basics i mean we just do so much and i i don't want to get too cocky it's not always going to be like this and we should never assume that you know uh, in russia's future endeavors they're going to be this bad but i mean they have just been awful so that's the first thing and then, then the second thing too like i've been um As a veteran, I think in a lot of ways, uh, uh, you know, we're looking at this through a a very different prism than civilians, and we're looking at this multi-layered. So, uh, you know, Harpo, you're absolutely right saying that this, you know, this is going to be a generational thing in Ukraine. I mean, this is going to affect Ukraine for the next hundred years, and generation after generation, the the next three or four generations at least, are going to be affected by it. The next two generations are going to be directly affected by it. And, um, you know, the, the longer and longer I've, uh, you know, been out and the, the, the further uh, the war recedes from me and the more I kind of see it, I kind of see, like, the different levels of fucking pain and suffering that war kind of brings into the world. And, um, you know, Ukraine is going to, even if they win, I hope they do, I, I still I hope they win and I hope they rebuild and I hope to rebuild the country, um, back even stronger, but you're going to have, you know, literally millions of people uh, who are displaced with PTSD, who've lost loved ones, who are just carrying this horrible scar around for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I don't really feel a lot of sympathy for the Russian army right now, but you know what? After this is all said and done, um, these Russian conscripts, uh, most of of the army Russian conscripts, young 18, 19-year-old kids are going to get spat back out onto the street. A lot of them are going to be missing limbs. Um, there's no fucking mental health care in Russia, so they're going to turn to vodka, and it's basically going to be a whole generation of kids that is fucking lost, um, that is just torn the fuck up, um, that they should be out right now fucking, you know, drinking vodka, chasing women, but instead um, they've been ordered into this stupid-ass war by their fucking leader, and it's going to fuck them up, too. You know, so um, nobody wins. Nobody wins in this. You know what I mean? Um, and and that's. I kind mean, of, I kind of, I kind of hope there's parents out there that are showing, not necessarily showing everything to to their kids, but you know, giving them a class lesson. A look, this is what happens when you know somebody tries to invade you. Yep. Be glad you live where you live. You know. Mm-hmm. Better. Count your blessings every day. Yep, a hundred percent. This is what's going on on the other side of the world. 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And actually teach them about what is not right about this. Instead of just saying, oh, they're at war. Yep. They'll figure it out. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, too, and then, you know, the, uh, you guys, uh, uh, Maxwell, your, your kids are um, a little bit older. They're grown up, right? Yeah, yeah. Most of my kids are grown and out of the house. And then I've got two that are in high school, but smartest to be. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter's five, so I still have a whole lot of time before she's of age to start making this decision. But I'm sure if, you know, one of your kids, uh, this is for both of you, one of your kids came up to you and was like, hey, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps. You'd probably be one half proud and one half uh, uh, nervous and ready to shit your pants. You know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, mean, I mean, my two oldest are 13 and 11, so they're asking all kinds of questions. Yeah. You know, I mean, they they got told. They, they, they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, they see what's going on. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just glad they ask questions. Yeah, and I'm I glad they got somebody there to answer. Well, I'm gonna say that's why I just hope there's other people. I mean, I'm sure there are. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But uh, I just hope everybody is not just trying to brush this off. Actually, because uh, I mean, if they do, then we're not gonna get no farther than we're right. Yep, I agree. I agree. Yep. So, so this leads into our next topic, which is. The return of the fear of a nuclear war. So, let me give you guys, uh, and our listeners, a little bit, a little story from Friday night. So last Friday night, I did something very stupid and something I do not recommend to anyone. So, um, I was wasn't tired. My wife went to sleep early. I was still kind of awake, and I decided, you know, I'll just talk about. Um, you know, nuclear proliferation and everything, uh, you know, Putin uh, basically uh, covertly threatening to use nukes on NATO in the West should this happen again. So I kind of went down a nuclear weapons rabbit hole and I watched a TED talk on nuclear weapons. And I also, um, there was this movie called The Day After, which was a made-for-TV movie in 1983. But it, when it aired, it was wildly popular. Like 100 million people in the U.S. watched it. Reagan watched it. Apparently later, Gorbachev watched it, and they actually showed it on Russian TV uh, in the late 80s. And it's basically a movie uh, about what would happen if uh, nuclear, uh, you know, we went to a nuclear war. And it takes place in Kansas, and it's just, um, the scene I watched was the actual nuke, was the actual, the, the missiles actually landing. And it was fucked up, man. If you want, if you really want to freak yourself out and not go to sleep tonight, watch this movie. But... You know, now we're we're back. We're back at this, and this is something that um, that for the last thirty years, uh, you know, with some exceptions, like North Korea likes to fucking he likes to flex his nut, you know. But um, uh, the for the most part, the uh, the world has pretty had pretty much moved on beyond the threat of total nuclear annihilation, and we're right back at it. So. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to, to, to open up to that guy, uh, open that up to you guys. So Maxwell, you're the oldest of the bunch, but, um, you remember the Cold War, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, what are your feelings on a return to this, this reality? Well, and it, it's one of those things like, you know, back in like the eighties and obviously way before my time when people were getting under 
gas to uh, escape nuclear fallout, which is quite funny. But um, so obviously, like the threat of nuclear war was a lot greater than before the eighties. But it was definitely a thing in the eighties that was a theme. Like I remember sitting in a class when we were learning about like um, intercontinental continental ballistic missiles and like nuclear submarines right so like one thing that sticks out in my mind back then was learning that a sub had enough nukes on it to take out every major city in the western hemisphere and that that blew my mind that's like insanity right but that was the reality back then like this could happen um and to go back to that like I can't even fathom it, man. I really can't. Uh, it's one of those things. I think the fact that Putin is waving the, rattling the saber about freaking nukes, is he knows, like, I think he knows he bit off more than he can chew. Like, the freaking Russian army is not what he thought it was, and they're getting their ass handed to him. You know, by... Uh, you know, Ukrainian regulars and, you know, citizen militia groups, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things, one of the, one of the Russian strikes into Ukraine was further west. Uh, it was on NPR this morning about how close to Poland it was. But that is the, that is the training center and the post where all of these uh, foreign legion fighters are coming into mm-hmm. so that's kind of like the the railing point you know train equipped before they send you into the fight so it was interesting so that was targeted this morning um yeah i think uh i i don't know who knows i don't think that putin is that freaking crazy to get us into a nuclear war like, I don't know how, we can, you know, I know he threatens nukes because he knows if NATO, get, if NATO gets involved, he's fucking done. I mean, you take a look at what the Russian army has done thus far, and it's getting their ass kicked by fucking Ukraine. You throw NATO in there, who, you know, most of most of which has been involved with ISAF and freaking Afghanistan and spent the last 20 years fighting fucking wars, right? Like, um, you get those guys involved, like, Russia's done. Yep, uh, yep, 100%. And if, NATO, if NATO jumps in, and, and we can play, we can really play a supporting role with, um, you know, it could be like Odyssey Dawn and Libya. Odyssey Dawn and Libya was mostly European uh, strategic bombing into Libya. We provided support in terms of, like, refueling AWACS, early warning systems, uh, PSYOP support with the commando solo flights and stuff like that. So we did a lot of ISR support and PSYOP support and electronic warfare support, but by... By and large, it was NATO, uh, European NATO countries doing the actual bombing in freaking Libya, right? 
I could see that same thing happening here where we could take a more supportive role and they have the capability to largely be the, the, the forefront on it. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is kind of an aside, but uh, I think when the U.S. Defense Department uh, contract companies get involved, they're going to want they're going to want uh, Uncle Sam to spend some money, so they're going to prompt us to take a more leading role, so we can freaking uh, you know empty the coffers, buy more tomahawks and hellfires. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> war is very profitable for um, a certain segment of the population, and in in certain in their interests to pursue. No, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, um, but that's that's good. I actually I, I agree with a lot of that. I want to. One thing. So, go ahead. I was going to say one thing, Doc. Uh, I didn't. I just it just occurred to me. Like I dropped a lot of acronyms out there that. Uh, so like. ISR is like your drones, your full motion video that people are used to, right? And others, other surveillance methods, right? So, for the for the common listener, like ISR is your drones, your Predator Reaper drones, your Global Hawk with your so you have video feed and everything else that they do, and uh, I don't know what other acronyms I might have dropped out there. So PSYOPs support, just so people know, when the whole Odyssey Dawn Libya deal was going on, we were broadcasting messages into the country um, for multiple audiences. Uh, So we were providing that support, but NATO European countries were doing most of the bombing, Mm. which in the Ukraine piece, we could do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. We can broadcast TV, radio, and a variety of platforms and open that pipeline up uh, to get messages in. Um, We could provide early warnings, so basically know where all the Russian airplanes are flying and be able to cue uh, NATO, European air-to-air combat assets and even support the Ukrainians um, with air-to-air combat. They can provide refueling support. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of things that we could do without us pulling the trigger that is a mm. game-changer. Um, and, and like I said, I, I use Odyssey Dawn in Libya as an example because we really took a supportive role there. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things, it's good to see that that is something that could happen. Uh, like Europe, European NATO countries were mostly involved with kinetic stuff in Libya. Mm. Like we, we really did very little in mm. that respect. And we provided a supporting role, which, um, you know, is good to see. Like, it's good to see that that can happen. It should happen that way. Like we shouldn't be the people, you know, freaking having a, be nine one one for everybody. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I agree with a whole lot of stuff. I'm going to add a little bit to it in a second. But Harp, I want to open it up to you. Uh, your feelings on you know nuclear war and the the return to this. You know, what are you thinking? I mean, 
he keeps flexing it. I mean, uh, and he keeps putting the fear into everybody. I'm just wondering when somebody's going to say, hey, we got him too. You know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, sometimes you got to call a spade a spade, and sometimes you got to, you know. Yeah. So the thing you that is. You got to put your foot down too, you know? You're like, all right, enough's enough. You got him. You know, we do too. Yeah. The th- I think the thing that is so terrifying about uh, nuclear war is that it really seems to be all or nothing, you know? So, like, let's just say, so... I mean, all, all I can hope is that an American citizen, that my tax dollars is linked to something to where if a nuclear war does happen, our country is more protect, you know, better protected than most. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hoping that's where my tax dollars have gone to. So, I mean... Yeah. This nuclear stuff's been around for a long time, so I'm sure we've been building our defense for it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody says it's going to happen. So, yeah. See, nuclear war is such a you mind know? fuck because it's the only, um, not the only, but it's like the more, the more, the stronger, the, the uh, how can I say this? The the, the I'm, I'm sure I'm sure back in the caveman days, the caveman showed up with rocks, and then one day one showed up with fire, and mm-hmm. you know. The next, you know, all right, now I got fire. I'm yeah. sure how it all started, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, paradoxically, like, the 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 thing with nukes is, like, the stronger you are, the more, um, the the more at risk you are. Because the, the more, the larger the arsenal you build, and this is this is true for the, for mainly for the Russia and the U.S., but the larger the arsenal you build, the more it encourages the other guy to build a large arsenal, too, to the point where, like, there's really, I, I think that the U.S. the U.S. and Russia each have, I believe, like five thousand warheads. And I mean, even if ninety percent of those warheads, if we shot them all off, and ninety percent of those warheads were to fail, the, we still have uh, that's still gonna, you know, kill the world ten times over. And you know what? What's so scary about it? Also, the other thing too is, you know, unlike um, other forms of warfare where there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people involved, you have an entire military, you have many considerations. With nuclear war, it really comes down to the personalities involved, because the president has sole discretion to launch, basically launch nuclear weapons anytime he wants and anywhere he wants, and the same is true of Putin. So, um, and there's no, like, there's no launching just one nuke. So let's just say, um, for example, it, it, it Max, I agree. First of all, I agree with everything you say, and like, there's a part of me that wants NATO to do that. But if um, let's just say NATO um, does act, and Putin decides, you know what, I'm going to launch. We're going to to teach Europe a lesson. I'm just going to, I'm we're going to level London. I'm just going to shoot one off, and we're just going to level London. It, that's there is no such thing as one missile. Like if you shoot one, then we go ahead and we launch everything, and then he launches or or if we launch one and we're like, okay, you're going to take out London, we're going to take out Moscow. The moment their missiles inbound to Moscow, they launch everything. We launch everything, and the world's done. And there's 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 really nothing else you can do. Um, and there's no right. Yeah, you know, there's no there's no like there's no there's no there's no there's no way to truly survive a a full out nuclear war because um, it, first of all, it'll decimate the entire planet. And those few survivors, the 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 fallout afterwards. Um, you have a nuclear winter. So I've, I, the thing I watched this weekend is all of the, the basically it kicks all of this debris 
up into the atmosphere, which stays in the atmosphere, cools the planet down, um, makes growing crops near impossible, and um, you know those handful of people that remain um, basically starve to death because you know for the next ten or fifteen years, no light or you know not enough light for photosynthesis hits the planet, and everything dies. You know, so yeah. Um, I mean that that's like you know. Jock, I'm glad that you pointed out that I'm the oldest person here. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but back, like back when, like the Cold War was going strong in the '80s, that was the thing: mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Right? That's the whole. Everyone's got nukes pointed at each other, and no one's going to use them because they knew it was like, that's it. That's the end of everything we know. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's why I'm saying. As much as Putin's an asshole, I don't think he's fucking crazy enough to fucking launch nukes because that is exactly what will happen, right? Yeah. Like, we we will fucking we will turn fucking Russia into a fucking ash heap, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 in turn it'll just fuck up the entire world, right? Like, I don't think that. Like, I have you know. Let's be honest. I have very little faith. In a lot of things in this fucking world, which is, you know, goes back to me, you know, not believing in political parties or believing in pretty much anything for that matter. Mm. But, but it's like, you know, I just hold out hope that people aren't stupid enough to fucking just let let them rip. Because yeah, that's it. That's the end. That's yeah. the end of fucking everything, man. Yep, absolutely. And I, I, I agree. With that. I, 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 it's, it's really. This is another absurd part about it. It's really hoping that the person that's in charge is, you know, level-headed enough to, you know, make that, you know, uh, uh, to understand that basically if uh, if you push the button, you might as well just put a gun to your head and, and shoot yourself right there because you're you're killing yourself as well you know, and your entire country and, and, and the world, but, like, your country is not going to survive. And it's also, you know, another thing I hope, too, is that, Whoever is in the um, you know Russian nuclear chain of command right now, uh, I hope that whoever you know the number two guy, the number three guy, you know who ultimately this order has to flow through is uh, you know has some sort of backstop because the other the final thing that makes it so crazy too is if there is if there is a launch, the president has something like five to ten minutes to make a decision. So basically. You have five to ten minutes to decide uh, the fate of planet Earth, which is fucking crazy. You know what I mean? So, but that's a uh, yeah nuclear. So, I guess too, like now you know. So we're all old enough. I was I was born in nineteen eighty. So uh, even though I didn't you know live through the Cold War in my you know later years, I certainly uh, you know remember watching movies where the Russians were the bad guys and you know everybody was like chasing the nuclear secrets, and I certainly old enough to uh, remember it, and, uh, you know, I think the hubris, and I I was absolutely guilty of this as well, you know, I, up until, you know, two and a half weeks ago, I was like, we're done with nuclear war, like, we're, like, it's just not something that the world has to think about anymore, Russia's building their arsenal, maybe, I mean, maybe worst case scenario, a country like North Korea or Iran gets them, but in there, it's, it's, very very small and much more limited you know what i mean um but no no like uh uh, uh rush is back in play and that's that's a pretty scary fucking thing so 
You know, I well, on on the heels of like on the heels of nuclear war, I like I said, I because because of the cost um, as the result of it, I don't think that I don't think anyone's willing to do that. I think, like I said, I think Putin is rattling that saber because he knows if anybody else jumps in, he's fucked. Like, this yeah. ain't happening for him. I think the other thing, too, is, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, is information warfare is huge. And I think what we're seeing, too, is economic warfare is also huge, mm-hmm. right? Nobody, nobody's... I don't think that anybody's going to go the lengths of the nuclear war because you lose everything. I, everyone loses everything. I think everybody knows that. If people have nukes as a deterrence, right? Uh, which is also why we don't want people who are just fanatical to have mm-hmm. fucking yes. nukes because yeah. like, they're not on that same playing field of, uh, okay, we have these things, but it's just so you don't do shit to us either, yeah. right? I, I think... I think the more probable battlefield, besides the actual battlefield in Ukraine right now, is economic warfare, uh, information warfare, and, and albeit uh, political warfare. But, I mean, with that, I mean, what political clout, what, you kick them out of the G7? Um which, you know, who knows, they've probably already done that. But uh, but economic warfare and um, information warfare, I think, if this is, a, if this is really a, a, a proxy war to just the old Russia-U.S. fight from back in the day, um, those are the battlefields for that, right? Mm. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't think that. I don't think that's the case with Ukraine specifically, I think that goes back to what we've talked about in the past and what our friend in Ukraine has said is this guy wants the Soviet Union back, right? Uh, He wants the Warsaw Pact. He truly believes that NATO, you know, he feeds feeds this paranoia, but he's also a product of the paranoia that, like, NATO is going to bust, like, steamroll through Russia. Just like NATO thought the Warsaw Pact would steamroll through yeah. Europe, yeah. right? Um, which goes to every action like Georgia. When Georgia was in talks to be, become part of NATO, he went into Georgia, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, Ukraine in the past, um, Poland in the past, when we were just going to put missile defense systems in Poland, you know, that really freaking perked their ears up in Russia. And there's a whole to do about that. Um, so I mean, I think this guy like not only drives the false narrative of paranoia to the Russian people to justify his actions, but I legitimately think he is paranoid because he drinks the fucking Kool Aid uh, that the KGB fed him and brought him up with, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, he's he. Not only is he trying to bring back the 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 glory of mother russia but he's bringing it back because he believes all that bullshit yes yeah yes yeah 
communism didn't fail because it's a an unworkable system. It failed because I whatever reason he thinks it failed is why it failed. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, because the West, the, the West, you know, goes back to like like Russian paranoia and secret like palace intrigue, like you were saying before, yeah. and, and, and these and these different things like. That existed before the Bolshevik Revolution, like in the days of, I mean, that's why the, in the days of the czars, uh, you know, that's always been a thing there, right? It's like fucking stabbing motherfuckers in the back, yeah. espionage, this whole thing, uh, you know, um, Jesus, I'm trying to think of the name. I wrote a paper on it. Now I can't think of the name. I mean, the KGB has a name for their activities. Mm. Um, like, it's just commonplace. Like, dirty tricks and this freaking spy versus spy bullshit is just commonplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and while you guys talk, I'm going to look this up because now I, I need to know. <laughs> no, all right. So, so and actually, after oh, my... Active, it's called Active Measures. Ah, Okay. Active measures is propaganda, misinformation, espionage, every dirty trick in the book. And so here's an interesting point. Uh-huh. Uh, so years ago, you know, being an I.O. guy, so you learn how different countries go about cyber warfare, right? And, you know, it's kind of like 30,000 foot view broad strokes, but how people justify what they do, right? Mm -hmm. So the Russians had active measures. And they use offense as a defense. The the Chinese, by the way, do it the same way. They both have the same opinion on cyber warfare. They go on the offense and they do shit to us all the time because in their mind, war with the United States is inevitable. So the best defense that we could have is just continually fuck with them, Mm. you know, us, the Americans, with cyber warfare uh, as their defense, because you know, and, and that's the, that's a thin line to tread because cyber warfare is an act of war, right? Um, but they do they do these attacks uh, as a means of defense because they just really feel that war with us is inevitable, mm, right? Yeah, and it just goes into like. If you're trying to get into the mind of this paranoid motherfucker, right, who's got, like, little man syndrome, Mr. fucking Vladimir Putin, uh, that's it, man. Like, that's the... I mean, he came up in the KGB. That's the whole thing. Like, do the dirtiest shit you can do because, like, that's what you need to do uh, because you can't trust anybody. You know, that's him. That's why he's threatening the fucking nuke thing because he's fucking scared little man. So... I agree. I agree with and big yeah. and big dick President Zelensky is going to come up there and fucking that <laughs> yeah, <up>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so I I agree with you. Basically, everything you said. The um, you know, and what what makes nuclear war so scary is uh that you just like it's any miscalculation can st- have us stumble into it. I do, and you know, actually, so after my kind of uh frightened rants, so to speak, uh, about nuclear war and going down the rabbit hole uh, of it over the weekend, I actually, so far in this conflict, think that the, uh, and as of today, this might change tomorrow, but as of right now, so far, I think that 
the uh, risk of it escalating to nuclear war is still relatively low as like a traditional escalation like we're like you know we put missiles here they put missiles there and um tensions really start to mount but you know i think that um you know the u.s and nato have acted very responsibly so far in not taking the bait and not like you know moving missile systems forward moving them closer to russia and um taking a uh a heightened response and one of you know one of the articles that i did read um shortly after Putin um, did issue this sort of veiled nuclear threat is that, um, you know, the, he, he said this, but the intelligence services did not notice very much change um, on the ground uh, with their nuclear posture. So he said this, but he didn't actually take the measures necessary to, like, really put, um, put everybody on high alert. So um, I know the Biden administration and, and the Pentagon took a deep breath after that and like, okay, this is, you know, as it, at the moment, this is a lot of hot air. Um, but yeah, it could spiral into something, so, um, and I hope not, I really, man, I absolutely, I hope that when, uh, the history of, uh, this conflict is written many years from now, um, somebody, you know, whoever was, uh, uh, next to Putin during this decision process, was like, oh yeah, that was a bunch of bullshit, we had no, um, intention of ever launching, and we didn't, and everybody's still alive, um, that's my hope, that's my hope, you know. So I got two points with that. Yeah. All right. And just thoughts. Freaking, I'm my third makers because I made that part of the podcast. <laughs> okay. <all right. laughs> but no, here's here's the, so here's the deal. Like, um, first off, remember like when the Soviet Union fell, and I don't know if it was months or years after, just shortly after when things when. Crime was rampant. The Russian mob pretty much ran everything. The Russian Federation really had no control over the country. And, like, nuke subs were on the risk of melting down. Right? Who knows what state that they're in now, right? Yes. Um, nobody knows. We, we know what they tell us, which we know is bullshit. Which goes to my second point is, in the past, Afghanistan in the 80s and fucking Chechnya in the early 90s, right? There was no internet. This goes to my, this goes to the importance of information warfare. Yes, Mm -hmm. again, full disclosure, I'm completely biased because being an information operations planner for years in the military, I see the utility in it and shit, man, go on fucking social media you know, they, they they fucking suppressed the president of the United States, the former president of the United States Twitter account. So are you going to tell me that fucking uh, information is not important? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like oh, absolutely. it's that important. Yeah. Like, gosh, so that's the major shit. But in the fucking 80s with Afghanistan, and shit, man, you sent me the books, Dinky Boys. This is my whole point. They won't even tell the Russians what the fuck was going on, let alone the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Chechnya, right? Battle of Grozny, that was a fucking bloodbath, right? That was fucking a bloodbath for fucking years. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing anybody knows about the Chechnyans was the fucking uh, theater attack, right? The theater and the school. Yes, yeah. 
Right, because, I mean, shit, man, you got a bunch of fucking school kids held captive by fucking Chechen rebels. That's going to make international news. They don't care who the fuck you are. Mm-hmm. But the, the, big, the big deal is, in the past, the Russians didn't have this. And the Russians have always had the ability yep. internally yep. to shut down and suppress the media, mm-hmm. right? Here's a whole other dynamic. It goes back to why... So I'm going to keep circling back to how important it is to determine the winner, Ukraine needs to have the pipeline so people know what the yep. fuck is going on, yep. right? Which has never happened in the past. And countries were able to fucking take over other countries because nobody knew yeah. what was happening until it was already over, mm-hmm. right? That And it's so important for the Russians to suppress any fucking information that's coming out because it counters their mm-hmm. fucking narrative, which is all lies, right? And it makes them look like shit. The information information warfare might be the most important because it leads to everything else, right? All this information getting out, this this fucking you have a sovereign nation being invaded by another nation, right? And you know, this might be my own fucking three makers marks in social commentary, like. <laughs> It's interesting that if we go into Africa or the Middle East, nobody gives a fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that shit, man. Look at fucking Bosnia, uh, Herzegovina back in the fucking 90s. Like, everybody gave a shit about that. Like, that was no different. Nobody gave a shit about fucking Darfur in Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it was fucking European. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. going to get off my soapbox about that bullshit. But the fact of the matter is this. The information is there, and people see it. It's in their fucking face. They get on Facebook, they get on Instagram, they get on anything. They get on Twitter, it's there. It's in their fucking face. So you can't deny this atrocity that's going on, right? That works to the people of Ukraine's favor. Because then everybody else jumps on board and is like, shit, we can't let this fucking shit stand. Yep. So let's put sanctions on these assholes. Yep. And I think, go ahead. And, and there's an article. Uh, it's in War on the Rocks called the you know West laissez-faire approach to economic warfare. Um, which okay, granted that was written a couple of days ago, and we talked about this in previous podcasts. Like until they freaking remove them from the SWIFT international mm-hmm. monetary system. Until they really crunch down on fucking Russian oil, right? And nobody was like, oh, well, you know, so many people are dependent on it. Uh, we're going to ease into that one. But no, like, we have the ability to really fuck them hard, right? Mm-hmm. And that's economically, right? So, so the you... economic standpoint, we don't get to the economic sanctions. We don't get to all that without the information. We don't get to anything. Yeah. We don't even get to the kinetic fight without that, right? You know, I... Um, look, at, look how the United States was on the fence for so long of giving them man pads and fucking javelin missiles, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You I know, mean, Crimea... Even, dude, even after Crimea, they were still debating that. Like, these motherfuckers and they're fucking part of another country. And we were still like, oh, I don't know if we should do that. No, we definitely should. Uh, and if the message wasn't getting on, and if it wasn't in people's faces, I don't think that would be the case. 
But you know what? I agree 100%. And to tie everything that you said together, I think that Vladimir Putin's um, end is going to come when, it might, might happen a couple weeks from now, might happen a couple months from now, but when the reality, the economic reality on the ground in Russia is so bad that the narrative, the uh, information narrative that he is pushing just cannot hold up anymore because, you know, it's actually in front of the Russian people's eyes. You know what I'm saying? When it's like, like, Russia's great, we're doing so wonderful, we're doing so great, but you know what? Uh, you're a Russian guy, and I've, I've been standing online for 12 hours for bread. Uh, it's my fifth day going without gasoline in my car because uh, either I can't afford it or there is none or whatever the case may be. That's finally when somebody on the Russian side uh, is going to step in and be like, enough's enough, you're out of here. And um, that's only when things are going to change. So uh, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it cuts both ways because uh, um, the, 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 the lie is only... The lie only works until um, the truth hits home. And um, at some point, it's going to hit home for the Russians, and um, you know, they're going to wake up fucked. You know what I mean? So, there we go. All right. All right, well, you know what? We are right at the end. Um, I want to open it up to you guys. Uh, Maxwell, any, th- any final thoughts that you want to say? Oh, man. All right, so this one I've been fucking hanging on to. But uh, we were talking about oil and all this shit, and we were talking about it a lot last week. So one thing occurred to me this week, in the past when we've had, like, freaking oil prices drive up, right? Why was that? It was fucking called speculators, right, on the stock market. They look at current sit, and they figure, okay, they invest based off of what they feel the market will do, right? Because I was thinking about this. Dude, we are 20% of the fucking world's oil uh, right here in the United States. We are the largest single nation producer of oil. So why are, why is our fucking gas pump, you know, why are we paying a shit ton? Um, now, Russia being number third, yeah, it'll definitely have an impact. But... The impact is coming from these fucking commodity speculators, right? They drive the fucking market. They drive the fucking price. So, you know, I'm just saying, there's a lot of... We we eat a lot of crow and suffer a lot of bullshit that I don't think is necessary, right? You got these cats. There's somebody right now, the fucking fact that Everyone's paying a shit ton at the gas pump. There's some asshole in fucking Manhattan making a fuck ton of money off you, dude. Uh, so just fucking realize that shit. Um, yeah, look it up. Oil speculators and fucking commodity speculators in general. They usually fuck shit up for the rest of us, and they make a fuck ton of money. So put that one in your pipe and smoke it. Everybody fucking love you. And uh, I just wanted to leave you with that because I've been thinking about that all week. We can, you know, we can go into that more next week because I've I've read some something similar. I don't know as much about uh, the energy market as I should, but um, I've read very similar things. But thank you so much for your uh, final thoughts, Harp. What have you got? We just got to get energy independent. Cut it out. Cut out the rest. All right. 
All right, good to go. So, my last thought, I'm going to actually kind of merge what the two of you guys said. If there is any silver lining for this, in this war, for the U.S., it is that uh, in the last two and a half weeks, we have seen the one thing that both Republicans and Democrats can agree on is that Russia is the real enemy here. And they're, they're um, a real, real external enemy. Now, the best way that we can win a long-term war with Russia, or the, the next Cold War uh, with Russia, and ultimately with China, I think, is if we invest in the U.S., if we come together as a uh, country and we start to begin to work towards some of these uh, uh, common goals that we both have that um, are only our politics are keeping us from. And, and Harp, you just said uh, energy independence. I think that there is a way for us as a country to reach energy independence that um, has a little bit in it that uh, Democrats and liberals are going to like and has a little bit in it that uh, conservatives and Republicans are going to like because it involves both increasing our energy production and increasingly moving towards uh, green energy and reducing our energy consumption on one hand through cleaner technology. And I think that that's just one goal that... Uh, would benefit all Americans, both uh, Republicans and Democrats, but because of our politics for the last 20 or 30 years has really kept us from doing. So uh, it is my hope that, um, you know, this, this isn't going to solve everything. We're not going to all of a sudden start seeing kumbaya. We're not all going to come together. But some of these uh, issues and um, really thorny kind of problems that we have not had the political will to uh, address for the last, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years, hopefully having... Russia as a new adversary and this new geopolitical alignment will finally light a fire under our butts and get us motivated to finally tackle some of these problems that have been festering for so long. So, that's my Pollyanna-ish view. If we can get half of that done, we'll be good to go. So, gentlemen, thank you again so much. I love our talks, and I'm always, I always learn so much from talking to you guys. All right. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so very much for listening, and we will see you next week.